It's the Mal and Mud Podcast, your place for all sports debates. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Mal and Mud Podcast. I'm Josh Mallet, along here with Zach Mallet. Zach, the countdown is on. Sports are coming back very soon. How are you doing? I'm very excited to see a lot of sports coming back very soon. Well, we have a jam-packed day to dive into. We're going to start off with some baseball with the MLB responding to the Players Association with a proposed plan of their own on Monday. According to ESPN's Carl, Rav- Carl Ravish, the plan involves a 76-game regular season with the players receiving 75% pro-rated salaries. The regular season would end on September 27th, with the postseason running no later than October 31st. So, Zach, what do you think of the MLB's new proposed plan? I actually like this new plan. We heard the MLB actually say last week that they wouldn't propose a new plan. And now we are sitting here with a plan that looks pretty good games-wise for what these players were asking for. There's also going to be a normal 10-team playoff in this plan, so that is another positive. But we have to take this plan as a step in the right direction because at least somebody made a move. But a lot of people are saying that this was a step back based on money. And the Players Association isn't going to accept this plan. They weren't going to accept it from the beginning because they won't take anything less than their full prorated salaries, and they've stated that plenty of times. We actually saw Andrew McCutcheon tweet the word LOL right when the plan was released yesterday, and and that comment just completely reflects everything about the MLB right now. So this will be just another plan going down the drain but I personally like the plan that the MLB proposed. Yeah, I like the plan as well, and I think I I speak on behalf of all baseball fans when I say I don't really care what the plan is. As long as an agreement is reached and I'm able to watch baseball on my TV, I am perfectly fine with any plan that comes to fruition. And I'm good with 76 games. I think that's a solid season, about a half a season. So that's a pretty good sample size to calculate the teams that actually deserve to be in the postseason, but the biggest disparity and the biggest disagreement between the players right now and the MLB is the pro-rated salaries. Right now, the MLB is fixed on 75% pro-rated salaries, but the players want 100% pro-rated salaries, which would mean that they get paid exactly for how many games they participate in, So, which means that if they play 76 regular season games like this latest proposal, that means they get paid exactly for 76 games and not 75% of that because they want 100%. They want to make 100% of what they would be playing for however many games that they end up playing. Yeah, so there has to be a point where these two sides just come together and agree on one single plan. And that may not be until the 48-game season the owners were talking about. We don't know at this point, but the MLB... I've said this a couple times on a couple of different podcasts. The MLB has to come back. If they don't, it could be catastrophic for them, for their future. And the revenue that they get in from fans and a lot of the, the TV channels, they don't have that right now because they're not playing. And if they get their 
teams back on the field. They'll get some of that TV revenue back, but the players are looking for their 100% prorated salaries, and the MLB can give that to them. They do have the money to give them their full prorated salaries, but the MLB is really stuck on just not giving them that and not giving all of that money to their players. Yeah, and in addition to the disagreement over how much money the players are going to be making, they just can't seem to come to a standstill agreement on how many games simply will be played in the regular season. We started off at 82 games, and the players countered with 100, a 114-game regular season that would go well into October with the postseason going well into November. Then the MLB came back and said, no, no, that's way too many regular season games. We can't go that deep into November because of concerns of a potential second wave of the coronavirus coming back, which would result in the season being canceled, and then them playing all those games for what? Absolutely nothing. And then the MLB came back and was... Uh, contemplating proposing either a 50 or 60 game schedule and then we had rumors of about a 45 game schedule and then out of nowhere the MLB proposed this 76 game regular season schedule so with regards to how much games are going to be played it, you know for the 2020 MLB season it seems like we're going all over the place so I'd like to see a consistent you know around 70 to 80 game range proposal that kind of goes back and forth between the players and the MLB if we want to get any closer to coming to an agreement because I feel like if you're going from 70 to 100 then back down to 50 you're not really going anywhere and you're not really making any progress yeah I definitely agree with you you make up a great point because the MLB the amount of time that they take the less games they're going to be able to play and there we're talking about probably the latest would be August 1st would probably be the latest date that the MLB has to come up with an agreement and Hopefully, they come up with an agreement in the time before that, but it's not looking like that because the MLB and its Players Association are so far apart when it talks to money and the amount of games being played. Yeah, and if the MLB and the players came to an agreement earlier, we might be talking about spring training starting up in a couple of days and the season actually starting on July 1st. Now, that deadline for that to uh, happen has come and gone, but if still, if the players and the MLB can come to an agreement soon within the next couple of days, then there's still a chance for the season, to, for the regular season to start in early to mid-July and for there to be a serviceable season and a postseason taking place in October, and you can still play a 76-82 to 82 game regular season, so you just hope that the MLB, I feel like a broken record when I say this, but the MLB and the Players Association can come to some sort of agreement within a couple of days that can lead it to baseball being played soon. We're going to move over to the NBA, and the NBA has decided when the draft lottery and the draft will take place. The draft lottery will happen on August 25th, and the draft will take place on October 15th. Zach, how did these dates impact the NBA, and did the NBA pick the right time for the draft lottery and the draft to happen? Yeah, the NBA did pick the right time for these things to happen. The draft lottery, like you said, happening on August 25th. That is in the middle of the first round of the NBA playoffs, so they will get a lot of TV ratings for the draft lottery. It is very exciting because it is the bottom eight teams plus the six teams that don't make the playoffs after the end of the regular season. And because they are in the middle of the first round, people will try and watch anything coming out of the basketball world. And finally, people will also want to see which team 
gets number one and whether it'll be a shocker again like the Pelicans last year or it will be a normal lottery this year. Yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant when the NBA will be doing the draft lottery this year. As you mentioned before, right in the middle of the first round. And I'm not sure if the NBA did this on purpose and if they were thinking about this or thinking the same thing that I'm thinking. But by doing this in the middle of the first round, you're incorporating all NBA fans for every NBA team. Because if you think about it, because it's in the first round, you got 16 playoff teams. The fan bases of all those playoff teams are in it and watching the NBA and they're very engaged in what's going on in the sport. And then you got 14 teams that will be participating in the lottery at the same time with the first round of the playoffs. So that that involves, in that week, that involves all 30 NBA teams leading to all 30 NBA fan bases to being involved and engaged in the game during that time. Again, not sure if the NBA was thinking about this and did this on purpose to make it so that all 30 NBA fan bases were into the game all at once and it would increase ratings for playoff games as well if, t- if fans from teams that are non-playoff teams are now in- engaged in the game as well. But I think this is brilliant by the NBA and very good at timing. Yeah, you be, you make up a great point because saying all of those teams involved, almost every single team in the NBA is really involved in this lottery. And the eight teams the at the bottom and then the six teams that don't make the playoffs, you're going to get a lot of TV ratings. A lot of people are going to want to know where those teams are going to be because they won't be able to see them in earlier in the earlier rounds in whether it's the regular season or going into the playoffs so they want to see their teams again and the NBA like you said is bringing back the entire NBA to watch this one specific date and the draft lottery should be very fun to watch because people are going to be in that basketball groove. Yeah, and during the playoffs, you've got the fan bases from all 16 playoff teams into the playoffs, and then you've got the lottery, the fans of the lottery teams very into that, and then once that happens, you you watch the playoffs, and after the lottery happens, you have the NBA draft to look forward to, which takes place right after the season ends. A potential Game 7 of the NBA Finals would be on October 12th with the NBA draft on October 15th, and I think that the draft taking place just right after the season ends is the perfect time for that to happen because the NBA is making it so that you have the playoffs and then the draft takes place right after the playoffs come to an end, and then you get right into free agency. So right when the NBA comes back, we, we assume on July 31st, there's really no break, and there's going to be stuff going on right from the regular season to the postseason, the draft lottery, the draft right into free agency, and then up until next year as well. Yeah, and you make up a great point there. Again, the draft is going to happen on October 15th. This could be just three days after the conclusion of Game 7 of the NBA Finals. How exciting is that going to be? And the NBA draft is always about two to three weeks after the NBA Finals. But now that the draft, it might be three days after the NBA Finals, the fans will again be used to watching the NBA, so the draft will get a lot of ratings, and there are going to be a great amount of stars, and it's really a question mark right now on who's going to go number one. Going back to the draft lottery, a lot of people are still very curious about those bottom eight teams and which one is going to move high up in the draft lottery or get pushed down. 
And the teams in the playoffs also don't have that good amount of time to figure out their biggest needs and who they are looking at. So they need to focus on that a lot earlier this year. Some of them might have started already looking on who could be available when they are up to draft. Yeah, and during these very unique circumstances, everything's going to have to be pushed together and very condensed in order to get the season over with and in order to get the next season, the 2020-2021 season, underway. And we've heard rumors that the next season could start as early as December 1st, which would be a less than two-month offseason. Zach, do you envision that working? Can the next season actually begin on December 1st? Yeah, I, I think it could be challenging. It might be hard for players and teams that make it deep into the playoffs to come back that quickly. And even though they've had this long break due to the coronavirus, they could still come back in a very short amount of time to play a full regular season. But they have to get back into basketball shape very quickly. And I like the NBA making a push to start this early because they know what is coming in the upcoming summer. The now 2021 Summer Olympics gets filled with NBA talent everywhere. So Adam Silver is trying to support that. I think that's way too quick of a turnaround. So I, I think that you want to try and get the NBA season over with before the Summer Olympics, like you just mentioned, that were delayed a year because of COVID-19. But uh, I envision pro- a, a Christmas Day start. I don't think that they're going to start on December 1st. I think the players are going to want a little bit more time because for the teams that make it to the NBA Finals, that's less than two months of an offseason. I think they're going to need a little bit more time to rest, and I don't think that the players are going to agree with, or especially the playoff teams, or the players of playoff teams are going to agree with that quick of a turnaround, that short of an offseason. They're going to want a little bit more of a break in between seasons, and I don't I don't see a, a more perfect way than to resume NBA play and start the next season off on Christmas Day, which is such a big day, NBA day in itself. But imagine Christmas Day just like the 11-12 lockout short season when Christmas was when uh, when the NBA opened up. Imagine how special that would be to have a Christmas NBA opening day. Yeah, it will be very interesting. But I want to bring up another point. And the Hawks general manager, Travis Schlenk, spoke to reporters this morning and said that the NBA has indicated to the league's general managers that next year's schedule could be condensed to keep the league close to its usual timeline. What do you think about the NBA condensing their schedule for this upcoming season? I completely agree with him. And and just like I I mentioned just a couple of seconds ago with the Christmas Day start, you look back at that 11-12 lockout shortened season, and they started on Christmas Day, they played 66 games, and they ended the same time they normally do every other season. So I think that is the solution to ensure that you end the season at a normal time, right right in the heart of June when the NBA Finals normally takes place. You get the season over with before the summer begins, and you're right back on schedule for future seasons to come so that this doesn't impact the future as much as it's threatening to as itself right now. So. I, I like the idea of starting on Christmas Day, playing a 66 or so game schedule, just like the lockout shortened season, and then you're right back on schedule to the way things were before COVID began. Yeah, I actually disagree with it. I, I think it's because two words will be bigger than ever, load management, and it will not be fun to watch the NBA if there is going to be a lot of 
uh, load management in the NBA. The NBA has also been bringing up in this plan four games in five nights. That could happen for this upcoming season. And if the NBA has to play only maybe a two-thirds season, it's okay. Yes, there are concerns about losing a lot of the TV money, but they these are unprecedented times that the NBA just can't change, and they might just have to deal with it. Yeah, if, if you're supposed to, if you're trying to squeeze in an 82-game season, you know, in that short time starting in December in order to end when you normally do in June, then you're playing four games in five days, and in five days, and then that can lead to a lot of load management, which people are already complaining about right now, and that would lead to even more load management, which fans would not be that happy about because you pay a lot of money to attend the basketball game, and if a Kawhi Leonard or a LeBron James are taking a day off, that's a lot of money going to waste, considering that you probably paid in order to see them play. But in my opinion, I think if you start the season December, maybe late December or Christmas Day, and you play a 66-game schedule, again, going back to that 11-12 lockout shortened season when you're playing every other day, you're not really playing that many back-to-backs, and the schedule is formatted the same exact way as if it would be an 82-game season starting in October the way that it normally should. So I think that the, if the season were to be shortened to 60-plus games, or, 60 or around 60 games, then that would actually reduce the amount of load management because if you think about it, there would be less of a reason to give a player or a good player a day off considering there are less games in the ski- in the season. Yeah, so we agree on that it should be a little bit of a shorter season. Um, I just don't think that condensing the schedule, I don't know if you agree with me, condensing the schedule and making games that close together uh, would be smart for the NBA because, like I said, load management, and that will happen a lot more. So if the NBA has the chance to make a little bit of a shorter season and not have to condense their schedule where all of these players are deciding to do load management, then the NBA will be in a perfect position. Yeah, I think the NBA will be in a great position if you're able to lower the amount of games that are played in the next season while not having to condense it. This way, the schedule is still formatted the same way that it would be under normal circumstances, but by playing less games, that would reduce the amount of load management that would have to happen. And it'll certainly be interesting. As, as much as we're looking forward to watching the NBA come back in late July and then the, the playoffs occur in August, September, and October, it'll be really um, interesting to see how the next season, the 2020-2021 NBA season, comes about. We're going to move on to our final topic now in the NFL. And yesterday, Dalvin Cook made big news yesterday by saying that he's going to hold out until he gets a reasonable contract extension from the Vikings. Zach, do you believe Dalvin Cook deserves Christian McCaffrey-type money? Yes, I do. And that's because the NFL running back market is reset almost every year. And I don't think he should be the highest paid, but I do think he should be number two. And Cook has had his injury problems, but he has been completely productive when coming back. And he had the second most yards from scrimmage last year. Dalvin is the best player on the team, and the Vikings just shipped away their second best player in Stephon Diggs. And this Vikings offense is built around Dalvin Cook and that running attack. And 47% of their plays last year were running plays. And that's second most in the league. 
and the Vikings brought in Kevin Stefanski last year because they wanted to run the ball a lot more than they were already. And seven out of the ten playoff teams last year had top-tier running games. So the Vikings fit in perfectly. He helps the team and Kirk Cousins a lot more when he's on the field. Some of the stats, Cousins' QBR goes up from 58 to 61 with Dalvin on the field. His completion percentage goes from 66 to 71. And yards per attempt goes up from 7.4 to 8.5. And the big one is his touchdown to interception ratio. Kirk Cousins goes from 10 to 5 to 15 to 1 when Dalvin Cook is on the field. So the Vikings need Dalvin Cook more than ever with Diggs now gone. Now, is it important for the Vikings to sign Dalvin Cook to an extension to ensure that he doesn't hold out? Yes. But is he worth Christian McCaffrey-type money? Absolutely not. When I'm handing out a big type of contract extension like the one that was given to McCaffrey, four years, uh, $64 million, $16 million per year, I believe Christian McCaffrey is in a league of his own when it comes to running backs in the NFL right now. And I'm looking for not only somebody that puts up ridiculous numbers and ridiculous stats like McCaffrey did throughout his first three years, but most notably in his past year. But I'm also looking for somebody who's durable and who could stay on the field. McCaffrey, in his first three seasons, both him and Cook were both drafted in 2017. Both have played three years in the NFL. McCaffrey has not missed a game. He's played 16 games in each of his first three NFL seasons, while Cook, on the other hand, has battled injury after injury, only played four games in his first year, 11 in his second year, and appeared to finally be having his first full healthy season. But he played 14 games until at the very end of the year, an injury robbed him of a couple of games where he could have really padded his numbers. Did, did Cook have a remarkable year? Yeah, he had 1,654 total scrimmage yards, and that is a remarkable year. And should the Vikings do everything they can to extend him? Yes, but I think that asking for top-of-the-line running back money, like the extension that McCaffrey got and comparing yourself to him, I think that's a bit far-fetched. Okay, well, the top running backs paid in the league right now are Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, and David Johnson. McCaffrey makes $16 million per year. I'm not saying that Dalvin Cook deserves to be the top paid running back. I think he should be second. Ezekiel Elliott makes $15 million per year. Le'Veon Bell makes $13.1 million per year. And David Johnson makes $13 million per year. But where do you see Dalvin Cook being ranked the compared to those running backs that I just named? I think that he's in the tier right below McCaffrey. So I, I think that he's right along the lines of Le'Veon Bell and Ezekiel Elliott. Now, I think he should be getting paid a little bit less than, than Le'Veon and Zeke because, you know, Zeke and Le'Veon established themselves as durable superstars before they got their extensions. You know, Dalvin Cook has had one really good year, and all of a sudden he wants a monster extension. Saquon has had two really good years. He hasn't been asking for an extension yet. And Dalvin Cook, once again, one good year, and all of a sudden he wants to be paid like a top-of-the-line running back. Okay, well, you can't sit here and tell me that Cook is not better or not more important to his team than Le'Veon Bell because the Vikings would be absolutely nothing without Dalvin Cook there at their running game. That is their main point. That is their what their offense runs through. Le'Veon Bell is on the Jets, and the Jets have struggled in the past, but Le'Veon Bell, I don't even think, is the most important player 
on that team right now. And so David Johnson is in the same case after being traded to the Houston Texans. So let's look at Ezekiel Elliott. Personally, if I'm building a team, I'm actually picking Dalvin Cook over Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott is bigger, stronger, and tougher. Nobody breaks through tackles like him. There's no doubt about that. But Zeke does not have the speed, the quickness, or the receiving abilities that Dalvin Cook offers. And Dalvin is the most explosive player on the field when healthy and one of the hardest players in football to keep up with. And how about the offensive line? Minnesota's offensive line was actually ranked 21st in the league last year with all of the combined stats. Dallas has arguably the number one offensive line in football. Put Dalvin Cook or Christian McCaffrey from this past season behind that offensive line. Records would be shattered more than ever before. Christian McCaffrey would go absolutely bonkers if he had an offensive line like the Cowboys have. And I had two big sticking points with Dalvin Cook last season. First is he scored 13 rushing touchdowns in 14 games. That is more than Zeke while playing in two less games. And that's only two less than Christian McCaffrey's 15 that he put up last season. And second is the receiving numbers. Dalvin had more receiving yards, more yards per reception, more receptions per game, more receiving yards per game than Ezekiel Elliott. And look at the difference between their teams. The Minnesota Vikings beat the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans, and the Cowboys did not make the playoffs. So people talk about Zeke as a workhorse. Dalvin had 28 rushes for 94 yards and two touchdowns in that playoff game against the New Orleans Saints. So they're usually pretty productive around 30 running backs, about 30 years old, and that's when it starts to decline a lot. But in Dalvin's case, I know injuries could be a problem, so he doesn't need a crazy long deal, and he will show you his value. Dalvin Cook deserves to be paid more than Zeke, but less than Christian McCaffrey. Now, you brought up some very good points right there, but I looked into the two guys that you really mainly compared him to, and that is Ezekiel Elliott and Le'Veon Bell. Now, before Ezekiel Elliott threatened to hold out because of contract disputes, you know, he put together three brilliant seasons. In 2016, when he first entered the NFL, led the league in rushing. 2018, also led the league in rushing. 2017, the only reason why he didn't lead the league in rushing was because of a six-game suspension. So I look at that, and I see three monster seasons, and he didn't miss a game to injury in any one of those seasons. And, and he missed the six games because of a suspension in 2017. In 2017, I see three monster seasons right there, and that warrants him asking for a good contract extension because he's really proven himself. Now moving over to Le'Veon Bell. Put together in his first five seasons, really four really good seasons. Missed a lot of 2015, but four really good seasons before he asked for a contract extension. And that's when he held out in 2018, got the deal that he deserved in 2019 with the Jets. And now going back to Dalvin Cook, he had one good year. One good year. I have not seen enough from Dalvin Cook to warrant him asking to be paid as a top running back in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott and Le'Veon Bell are amongst the best at their positions and absolute workhorses. Zeke had uh, 1,631 yards in his rookie season and 1,400, nearly 1,400 in 2018, and had almost 1,000 in just 10 games in 2017. Le'Veon Bell 
he had in a three-year span, in three out of four years from 2014 to 2017, he had over 1,200 yards rushing. And again, Dalvin Cook, one really good year. Yeah, well, you're looking at all of this and the deals that they these guys got. And Le'Veon got a very big deal, and that's coming off of a season where he did not play at all, and he was going on a holdout. So this last year was really bad for Le'Veon Bell expectations for him, and that's because he got that monster deal. And the same for Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was a little bit down from his previous three seasons, and that's because he got paid that big money. But these guys are also being paid for a longer amount of time. Dalvin Cook, if you are worried about the injuries for Dalvin Cook, he should be paid maybe a three-year deal, maybe a two-year deal. But he needs to be paid like those higher top guys, those higher tier guys. He's only 24. And the great running backs, like I said before, they really, the usually the running backs that are productive go until they're about 30. So Dalvin Cook could have injury problems, but you don't have to pay him for a long time. So that's where, uh, that's where I'm coming from. I think that Dalvin Cook should be paid like those top tier running backs, just not as long as those running backs years-wise that they're getting in their contracts. Yeah, and when we've had these discussions about running backs getting contract extensions in episodes past, uh, most notably Todd Gurley, we, we've talked about how you know a running back will be really good, and then they sign the extension, and then they become bad, and, and then they, they become injury-prone. Todd Gurley was one of the most durable players in the NFL, signs the extension, and all of a sudden his knees break down, and he becomes very injury-prone. But with Dalvin Cook, he's already proven that he's injury-prone. It's not like he's had three, four seasons in which he's played 15-plus games, and now all of a sudden you're worried about him in the future all of a sudden becoming injury-prone when he's already proven the fact that he's injury-prone. Yeah, except Dalvin Cook is coming off a year where he was at the top, and he was top of the league in so many categories that you look at this guy and you could say definitely he's one of the top running backs in the league. And he deserves to be paid like one of the top running backs in the league because of the season that he put up. I Like I said, this offense is absolutely nothing without Dalvin Cook. Their offense is focusing on solely their running game. And if they don't have a running back, look who's behind them. Alexander Madison is their backup uh, running back. And if they're going with him, they're not going to be the same team. They need to have Dalvin Cook there to be maybe even a Super Bowl contender. They're not even close without Dalvin Cook on that roster. I completely agree with you when it comes to the fact that Dalvin Cook is so important to this Minnesota offense. And because of the fact that they've already lost Stephon Diggs, they cannot afford to lose Dalvin Cook, and they need to do whatever it takes to re-sign him. But back to the original argument when it comes to does he deserve the same amount of money that a guy like Le'Veon Bell or Ezekiel Elliott or Christian McCaffrey signed for? I don't think it's even close. I think that he's got way more to prove before he proves that he's at that level. And to me, when you're trying to extend a running back, you, you, you know you want a sure thing. You want a guy that you know he's going to be on the field, he's healthy, and you know that he's going to produce when hees on that field. And Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley before his injuries, those were guys that were absolute sure things that proved that they could be all pro type of players before 
they sign their extensions. And, and I think that if you're a running back that's looking for an extension, you need to prove that before you ask to get the big bucks. And Dalvin Cook has yet to prove to me that he is a guy that could consistently stay on the field and be an all-pro type of guy. He's only a one-time pro bowler. That was it. This year, and I need more than just one year to warrant me giving you a big-time extension like a McCaffrey four-year, 16 mil per year, $64 million extension. Well, I definitely agree that Minnesota has been wrong by creating their entire team around a running back and their entire team around just the running game and just having really Dalvin Cook there to support it. I think Minnesota did a bad job because of that, and they're getting all of these injuries, and they were really relying on Dalvin Cook so much in this offense, and Dalvin Cook's injuries have hurt them. So, but when Dalvin Cook comes back, he is more important than anybody on this team and they need him to be close because if they went and did another way they maybe are a better team if they didn't circle just their running backs at their main priority and Dalvin Cook as their main priority in this offense but they're at the point where they did do that and they have to make a move they have to do something to help their team, because if they don't have Dalvin Cook there, they are really nothing, like I said. So they have to do what they ask for, really. By drafting Dalvin Cook and building a team around him, they have to pay him because that's what they did to themselves. Well, there's no questioning the fact that Dalvin Cook is such an important part of this Minnesota Vikings team and what they're trying to accomplish. They've been a playoff team in two of the last three years, and they're a team that certainly has Super Bowl aspirations, and they need to extend him if they want to have any shot at contending this year and potentially dethroning the Green Bay Packers as the champions of the NFC North. And how much money he gets paid? Does he come close to the McCaffrey deal? That remains to be seen, and it'll certainly be interesting to see what type of money Dalvin Cook gets and what exactly he commands. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this one, though. Thank you for listening to episode 23 of the Mal and Mud Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mal Mud Podcast. We'll be back on Friday with episode 24 and some more news about the return of sports. Talk to you all then.